Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Well, today I want to talk to you about preparing for a miracle. Preparing for a miracle. Now, I'd like to go to 2 Kings chapter 3 to start out, and here's kind of the setup. The king of Israel, the king of Judah, who's Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom are marching through the desert. They're trying to put together a surprise attack against the king of Moab. And as they're going through the desert, they run out of water. So this is 2 Kings 3 and verse 9. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on the roundabout route seven days, and there was no water for the army, nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Now this reminds me of so many people today. Whenever things are going bad, they're just like, this is God. God did it. God is, God is punishing us. God is teaching us. God is the one who's doing this. And somehow we blame God for everything that's going on that's bad that's going around around us. Now, 1 John 5, verse 19. We know positively that we're of God. And the whole world around us is under the power, the control of the evil one. Most Christians today live as if the devil did not exist. But the Bible tells us, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9, resist him steadfast in the faith. See, the Bible tells us to fight the good fight of faith. And this is not a fight against people. In Ephesians 6, it says, our enemy is not flesh and blood, but it's principalities and powers. It's Satan and demon power. And we need to recognize we have an enemy. And the Bible tells us to resist him. And I like to say it like this. The last time he, you resisted him is the last time that he fled from you. And when we're blaming everything on God, we're simply not recognizing the fact that there is a devil. He is the enemy of your soul, right? And he is the one who is orchestrating so much of what is happening here in the earth. Remember, the Bible says, and the whole world is under the power, the sway of the evil one. In Acts 10, in verse 38, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Now, the people Jesus healed were oppressed by who? The devil. But yet so many people are just like, well, you know, this is the will of God. This is what God has sent. God's testing me. God's punishing me. See, and if you think that way, you're never going to resist the devil. But the Bible says all that Jesus healed were oppressed of the devil. And if we don't understand that we have an enemy, that he is the enemy of our soul, and that he's going about looking for whom he may devour. And let me just mention this. He devours ignorant people. He devours people who cooperate with him. 
and he devours people who ignore him. All right. So Jesus said this. He said, the thief, that's the devil. He only comes to steal, to kill and destroy. But I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus here gives us a divide. In fact, we could call this verse the great divide. Everything that brings life comes from God. And everything that kills, steals and destroy does not come from God. James said it a little bit different in chapter one and verse 16. He said, don't be deceived. My beloved brethren, and this is a fact, in the few places the Bible tells us not to be deceived, we are the most deceived. So most Christians don't get this right. Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from the Father of light in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. What comes from God? Every good gift, every perfect gift. The things that bring life. But the things that kill, steal, and destroy, those do not come from God. So the, the king of Israel, who is Jehoram. Now, this guy, the Bible simply says that he was evil, right? But his theology was messed up for sure. And he blames everything that's happening on God. But there is another man there, the king of Judah. And by the way, the Judah means praise. He's Jehoshaphat. He's a godly man. And he doesn't think with everything that happens is God's will. So Jehoshaphat said, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire by the Lord? Now, I think it's interesting that it's not the first thing that they do. They've, they've done everything they can in the natural. And now they realize we're at a dead end. And he said, can't we inquire of the Lord? How many of you know that's the first thing we ought to do, not the last thing? The first thing we should do is inquire of God. In fact, in Philippians 4 and verse 6, it says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. The Bible says, don't just pray about big things. It says, pray about everything. And we should go to God first, not last. In 2 Chronicles 16 and verse 12, it says this. And, and this is talking about King Asa. It says in the 39th year of his reign, he became diseased in his feet and the medley was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. Now, let me just say this. Physicians, doctors are good, right? Luke is called the beloved physician. But we're not supposed to go to the physicians first. We're supposed to go to who first? Go to God first. Right? In fact, the Bible brings it out. He did not seek God. He only sought the help of man. Now, I, I want to just mention, you know, a few weeks ago, I mentioned different kinds of prayer. But there's also levels of prayer. Right? And, and I want to talk to you just a minute about this, right? Because I think 80% of the prayers that we pray are what I would call problem prayers. Right? We, need, we need a healing. We need our bills paid. Right? Well, we, we need God to move on, on, a, on a situation. Most of our prayers, those are the kind of prayers there. And those are good prayers, right? But that shouldn't be all the prayers that we're praying. And then we've got family prayers, right? God, take care of Jeannie and help her because she needs help. You know, Lord, change that woman. You know, hopefully that's not your prayer. All right. But uh, they're, they're, they're about relationships and, and they're, they're, they're family situations. Just kind of like, Lord, bless me. 
my wife, our son, Bill, his wife, us four, no more, Acts 2, 4. I mean, you know, we kind of like, all we're, all we're doing is just praying about the situations in our family, right? And, and then there's, there's, I would call that the, the, the self prayers. And these are not bad prayers. These are prayers, Lord, created me a clean heart. And Lord, see if there's any wicked way in me, you know, and show me what I need to do. Those are good prayers, right? But then there's prayers for ministry, right? We, we pray about a service. We pray for our pastor, right? Then there's prayers of intercession where we're standing in the gap for somebody else, right? And, and then I would like to just say this way, that there's prayers for God. You know, Jesus said this. He said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest, you know, it's something that God has said, I want you to bring this prayer before me. And then there's prayers of praise and prayers of worship, right? But 2 Kings 3.11. So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elijah, the son of Sapheth is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. So Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. So they say Elisha is here. And he used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. You know, they didn't have a faucet that you could go over to and put your hands under that faucet and wash your hands. So what you had to have was somebody who would have a pitcher and would pour that water and you would wash your hands. And it was the person who served you. So Elisha was really a servant, or, or you could almost say a butler, to Elijah. And now Elijah is dead. But they say Elisha is here. And he used to serve. Elisha is here. He used to serve Elijah. And notice what the king said, Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. And I'm not going to take a lot of time on this, but let me just say something. You pick up the anointing of the person you serve. You pick up the anointing of the person that you serve. You pick up the anointing that's on the house of worship where you worship. Right? And you pick up the revelation of those you serve in the house that you serve in. Right? And uh, I, I could tell you some stories. In fact, because I, I saw Clint over here, I'm going to tell Clint's story. Right? Now, now, Clint and his wife are, are sitting right over here. Uh, we used to have, years ago, we had a man come and speak. Uh, he was from Colorado. His name was Dave Dewell. Uh, one of the most powerful healing and deliverance ministries I have ever seen. Went to Russia with him. I mean, we saw, un, un, we saw blind eyes open. We saw people come out of wheelchairs. David was, God, God just used him tremendously. And uh, he had a peculiar way of ministering. Clint, how long did you go live over there? He went to Colorado to live with him for three years, right? Three years. He served Dave for three years. Now, when he ministers, he is a carbon copy, right? Not that he's trying to copy, but he has got the exact same anointing on his life that David had on his life. He went and served. And when he did, the anointing that was in the house got on him. Now, that's what Jehoshaphat knows. And he says, now, Elijah, he's dead. But here's the guy that poured water on his hands. Here's the guy that served him. And he's going to have the exact same anointing, right? So they go down and they go to see Elisha. 
And Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. And the king of Israel said to him, no, for the Lord has called all these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And he said, as the Lord lives, he said, before whom I stand, surely if it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I wouldn't look towards you and I wouldn't see you. Now, remember, Jehoram is the son of Ahab, who is like the wickedest king that Israel ever had. In fact, this is what the Bible says about him. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. Nobody was as wicked as Ahab. Nobody sold himself to do wickedness like Ahab. And why? Because his wife stirred him up. I, I, I would like to say this. Right? I would not be the man of God that I am if it wasn't for my wife stirring me up. Right? And, and I hope it's true that she wouldn't be the woman of God that she is, except I'm stirring her up. How many know we need to stir each other up? Stir each other up. Right? It, it's really important that your spouse be on the same page spiritually. Right? You, you want to be equally yoked with somebody. Right? So Elijah says to, to Jehoram, he said, I wouldn't even talk to you. I wouldn't see you if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat. Here's what often happens. Right? Um, we get around somebody with a different spirit, and it doesn't take very long before their battle becomes our battle. And that's exactly what has happened here to Jehoshaphat. He's gotten around an ungodly king, and now the ungodly king's battle ends up being his battle, right? So he says, except for Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. And again, Judah means praise. And it's literally like he's saying, uh, look, I'm going to see you because of praise. Let me say that praise sets an atmosphere. In fact, what, what the prophet does is this is what he says. He says, now, bring me a, 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 a musician. Bring me a minstrel. Bring me somebody who can play effectively and worship. Right? Now, when he does, the Bible says he, he brings this musician in, and he begins to play, and he begins to worship, and the hand of the Lord comes on the prophet. Now, I think the reason he had to do that, because the chapter before, this is what's happening. Right? He's walking along, and the Bible says that some young men come out and start to mock Elisha. And they say, go up, old baldy, go up. Now, you have to know that he is the, the protege of Elijah. And what would happen to Elijah is the Spirit of God would literally come on him and pick him up and take him to a different place. And so they're mocking him. They're mocking Elisha. And the Bible says that 42, excuse me, that two she-bears come out and maul 42 of those young men. Now, you'll notice it says she-bears. And you say, why did the Bible say she-bears? Because she-bears are meaner than he-bears. <laughs> How many of you have heard the saying, you know, don't get between a she-bear and her cubs. Because that she-bear will tear you up. All right. So, so that 
has just happened, right? And, and, and Elisha knows that those she-bears attacked those 42 youths that, that were mocking him, and he's got to get out of the mood that was set when that happened. And so what does he do? He calls for the musician who begins to play, and he begins to worship. And when he does, the Bible says the hand of the Lord came on him and the word of the Lord came to him. He used worship. Listen, he used worship to set a different atmosphere, to get him out of the funk. How many ever been in a funk? To get him out of the funk that he's in, he brings the musician in and they begin to worship because praise and worship changes the atmosphere. It changes the atmosphere and it sets the stage for miracles. And that's literally what begins to take place right here. Listen, when King Saul had an evil spirit that would distress him, the Bible says they brought in David and he began to play on a harp and he began to worship and he set an atmosphere so strong that the Bible says the evil spirit departed from Saul because of the atmosphere that was there. The wicked King Nebuchadnezzar understood this. He set up an image 90 feet tall and he got all the leaders together of all the provinces. And he says, now you come. And when you hear the sound of all the music and it mentions all the different instruments, he said, when you hear that music, he said, you fall down and you worship the image that I have set up. He understood that it would set an atmosphere. In Ezekiel chapter 28, it says this in the 13th verse, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardex, the tobes, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, sapphire, turquoise, emerald with gold. And the workmanship of your timbrels and your pipes was prepared for you in the day you were created. Now, this being wasn't born. This being was created. You were the anointed cherub who covered, a cherub angel, and is actually talking about Lucifer. It's talking about his creation. Now, notice what it says, your timbrels and your pipes. Bible scholars tell us Satan has musical instruments in his body. In his body. He understands praise and worship. In fact, it's believed that he was the praise and worship leader in heaven. Right? But he got kicked out. And he's still using music today to set an, it sets an atmosphere. How many of you know you get it? You just get in an elevator and they got that sweet elevator music going on. I don't know about your dentist, but when you go to my dentist, they got soft music and I need it. I mean, they're setting the atmosphere. All right. They are, they're setting the atmosphere. Now in, in second Chronicles, the same Jehoshaphat. Now he learned something he learned something when the prophet called in the minstrel and he began to play and the hand of the Lord came on him and he gave them the word of the Lord that brought deliverance and brought a miracle to them, right? He learned the power of praise and worship. So later on, he has three kings come against him and he finds out they're, they're bringing a surprise attack and they are 24 hours away. He gathers the people together they pray, they fast, they seek God. And it says this, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 21. 
And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, those who should praise the beauty of holiness. So they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. So before they send the green beret, before the Navy seals, they send the choir. And the choir starts to sing and to worship God. Now, when they began to sing and praise, the Lord sent ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, and they were defeated, who, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. In fact, literally, the Bible says God ambushed the enemy. When did it happen? When they began to worship. That's when it happened. So the prophet says, fill this valley full of ditches. Now they're in the desert. He doesn't say, go get your canteens. He says, fill the valley full of ditches because thus says the Lord. They said, there won't be a cloud and there won't be lightning, but those ditches are going to fill up with water. And every ditch they filled, filled with, built, excuse me, they, they dug, filled with water. Right? The miracle came as a result of an atmosphere being changed and them getting a hold of the word of the Lord. Now, in Hebrews 13, it says this, therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now notice it's the sacrifice of praise. It's a sacrifice when you don't feel like it. Sometimes you feel like praising God. Is there anybody besides me who's ever felt not like please praising God? I just kind of want to just sit there, right? But that's when we need to praise more than any other time. When things don't look right, when things are bad. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas have been preaching the gospel. They cast an evil spirit out of a girl and they get thrown in prison, not just thrown in prison. First, they beat them. Their backs are bleeding. They take him and they put him in prison. They put their hands in their their hands in socks, their feet in chains. And it's midnight. Now, it was physically 12 midnight. But I believe it's talking about the darkest hour in your life and in my life when we don't feel like praising. And the Bible says that Paul and Silas begin to praise God. And they begin to sing hymns. Now, I think the enemy figured they had taken care of everything. They beat them. Their backs are bleeding. Their hands are in stocks. Their chains are on their feet. But they forgot the duct tape. They forgot to put something on their mouth. Because there's a miracle in your mouth. And your mouth can set the atmosphere for the supernatural. And they begin to praise and worship God at midnight, at the darkest hour. And the Bible says God's presence came and that place shook. Every chain fell off. Every door was open. And I believe that is a picture of what happens when you and I begin to praise and worship God. So the prophet said, now bring me a musician. And it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, thus says the Lord, make the valley full of ditches. For thus said the Lord, you'll not see wind nor see rain. 
Yet the valley will be filled with water so you and your cattle will drink. And this is a small thing. The Lord's delivering the enemy into your hand. You know, David said this. He said, praise the Lord with a harp. Make melody with an instrument of 10 strings. You know, as far as I know, there is no such thing and never has been an instrument of 10 strings. Except this one right here. I, mean, I think it's talking about your hands, right? I love what Paul said. He said, I desire that men everywhere lift holy hands without doubt and without wrath. Your hands are an instrument when you clap, when you lift, when you begin to worship. You know, I, this church, some of you don't know this. This church was started in 1967. And I believe that is significant. Right? A couple things were happening in 1967. The Jesus movement began on the West Coast and swept across our nation. But in 1967, something happened in Israel. Jesus prophesied in Luke chapter 21, and he said, Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Now, God's clock is Israel. You look at what's happening in Israel. And always there's something corresponding happening in the church. Right? So in June, the Six-Day War takes place in Israel for the first time in almost 2,000 years. It's control of the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus' prophecy from Luke chapter 21 is fulfilled. God's doing something in Israel. Right? But he's doing something in the church. Right? One of the things he's doing in the church, if you look at Acts chapter 15, it's the first church meeting together where, they're de where, where the leaders of the church are meeting and, and praying and making a decision about the future. And this is what God, this is where they end up. They end up with an Old Testament prophecy. And it says, after this, God said, I will return and build the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up. So God said in the last days, he's going to rebuild David's tabernacle. Now, that's the only tabernacle where it was just a big tent. And they put God's presence, God's Ark of the Covenant, right in the middle. And anybody could go in at any time and could literally be in God's presence. But here's the kicker. David takes 4,000 Levites and appoints them to be in the temple 24 hours a day, praising and worshiping God, 24 hours a day, 4,000 Levites. What is the tabernacle that God's raising up in the last days? It's a tabernacle of praise, and it is a tabernacle of worship. Right? And I believe that's one of the anointings that is on this house. Now, let me close with this. In Ezra chapter 3, they've come and they're, they're beginning to rebuild the temple, referred to as Zerubbabel's temple. Right? And they lay the foundation of the temple. And this is what it says. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord for his good, for his mercy endures forever towards Israel. Then all the people shouted with a shout and they praised the Lord. Because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Now, this is what anybody 
can shout when the temple's finished. Anybody can shout when the need is met. Anybody can shout after the giant is fallen down dead. Right? But notice what they did. They shouted not when the temple was finished. They shouted and began to praise when the foundation was laid. Right? And this is a kingdom principle. Right? The kingdom principle is first the blade, then the stalk, then the ear and the full blade in the ear. And so often we want to wait until the end, until everything is perfect, and then we're going to praise the Lord. Right? But the Bible teaches us that what we need to do is we need to praise the Lord when we just see the first thing happen. When the foundation is laid, it's time to begin to praise God. So here's what I want you to do. I want every Baptist, every Catholic, every Calvinist, every Pentecostal, every Lutheran, every third wave, every charismatic, I want everybody stand up, stand up, stick your hands up in the air and begin to praise him. Take that instrument of 10 strings and say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Thank you for deliverance. Thank you for healing. Thank you, God, for breaking bondages. Thank you, God, that prodigals are coming home. Lord, we worship you. We praise you. There's none like you. There's none like you. You are awesome, God. You are awesome, God. We love you. We love you. Woo! Lord, we thank you. We thank you that your mercy, your mercy endures forever. Your covenant love endures forever. Thank you, Lord, that you've been so good. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Sit down. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Woo! Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Every head bowed for just a moment. Second Corinthians 5, verse 15. Those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So often we think being a Christian is just believing something. I believe that Jesus died and rose again. And that's necessary. And that's right. But the Bible says we are to live for the one who died for us and rose again. We're to live for him. See, it's not just a matter of believing in what Jesus did. It's giving your life to him. The Bible says to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be the children of God. We receive him as our Lord and as our King. I'm sure that in a group of this size, both here present and those online, there's people that you believe in God, but you don't know where you stand with God. The Bible says we've written these things to you that you may know that you have everlasting life. See, we're not supposed to die and find out if we're right with God. We're supposed to know today. We're forgiven, we're right with God, we're on our way to heaven. And if you don't know that, you're not where you should be with God. And we're gonna pray a prayer in just a moment. And if you will pray this prayer from your heart, when we say amen, you're gonna be right with God. 
Some of you, you need to, get, you need to come back to God. And others, you know you're away. You're, you're not right. And you need to pray this prayer from your heart. You say, why? Because Jesus said this. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying, I am the only way to be right with God. So I'm going to ask everybody to pray this prayer out loud. Make these words your own. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I am going to live for Jesus who died for me and rose again. I thank you. You've heard my prayer and that I am a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you again soon.